This is official no sports coat day. And uh, Edward made me. He was an example for me. So thank you, Edward. Although we didn't talk, we were linked together mentally and both showed up. We accidentally left our sports coats at home. All right, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 9. And uh, what we're going to do is we're actually going to preach this passage twice and emphasize two different things. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 11. I think pretty much without exception, everybody wants to see a miracle. Christians want to see miracles, especially because we believe in God. We know miracles are true. We know God has done miracles in the past, and we just can't wait until God does them again. And so we would love to just see it happen, uh, especially when there is this entire unbelieving world out there. When a miracle happens, it's just this huge, I told you so. I told you so. God exists. Ninner, ninner. <laughs> and feeding this hunger is this uh, never-ending, incessant uh, string of TV programs and movies and books that all talk about supernatural things and powers and, you know, every little kid wants to be Spider-Man or Superman because they have power and everybody wants to see this power being wielded. And oddly enough, at the same time, while all this is going on and there's all this fascination with angels and the supernatural and the occult and powers, there's also a huge trend in our society that's saying none of that's true. God doesn't exist. There are no miracles. There is no life after death. We're nothing more than random chance, you know, amoebas that have formed out of happen chance slime over millions of years. And here we are and we're going to die and go back to the dust and that's it. You know, we're just the next generation of X-Men. That's it. We're just an accident. And men being fickle, they like to just kind of latch on whatever serves their point. If they want something from God, they'll be religious and ask him to bless America. But then when they don't want to submit to God or obey God, then they're evolutionists. And it's very handy for them. But even true Christians, those who believe the Bible is true, have always believed that miracles are true and God is a God of miracles. And we've been seeing him as we've been going through the gospel of Luke. And any Christian realizes that God could do a miracle anytime he wants. He could do more miracles today than he ever did before. And that there's nothing that can stop him. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, The Lord is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. He doesn't need anybody to give him permission. And as we've been going through the book of Luke, we have seen that Luke is emphasizing Jesus' miracles, his miraculous works in the section we are now in today. And we've already addressed this issue before when uh, I preached a sermon from Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 19 called Miracles Then and Now. And uh, Kevin Hobson, who uh, is one of the people over our website, tells me that it is the most frequently downloaded sermon on the website. This tells me that people are fascinated about this and they want to know more about this, so I'm going to give you more. Um, I'm not going to cover the exact same things, and so you might want to get that sermon if you've never heard it or you forgot it. Um, Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, you can just listen to it right off the website. 
But in that sermon, we learned several things. First, that God still does miracles, the most common of which is the salvation and transformation of people. That is a miracle. That is supernatural. When someone is saved and they're regenerated and they're made into a new creature and they're able to walk away from their sins and they just have a whole different worldview and they start becoming more Christ-like, that is a miracle. And God is doing that all the time today. Secondly, he is not giving people sign gifts like he did in the New Testament times. You don't see anybody today, I mean, with people claim to have signed gifts, but you don't see anybody going down to St. Joe's Hospital and just emptying the whole place out. That doesn't happen. Third, when God did grant repentant, or grant people sign gifts so they could preach repentance and do these signs, He only gave that ability to a limited number of people in a limited geographical location for a limited amount of time. As a matter of fact, that's how it was in the whole history of the world. You have Moses who did some miracles. You have Elijah and Elijah who did some miracles and Jesus and the apostles. Those three time periods, always certain people, certain location, limited amount of time. That's it. We also learned that sign gifts are primarily for unbelievers, not to entertain believers and to encourage believers. Believers have the word of God. They can look at the word of God and be encouraged. They're supposed to believe this book. The miracles are recorded here. You read them, you believe. You're encouraged. You don't need new ones. Paul makes this clear, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 14.22, when speaking of the sign gift of tongues, he says that it's not for those who believe, but for unbelievers. We also learned, fifthly, that unlike those who claim to have miraculous sign gifts today, Jesus didn't manipulate the crowd. There wasn't a stage, there wasn't tickets, there wasn't people backstage doing background checks. Just went in and healed everybody of every kind of disease and sickness. That was the sixth thing. He healed all manner of disease and sickness, even raising people from the dead. It's amazing to me how people say, oh, so-and-so, he has the gift of healing. Really? Does he heal all manner of disease and sickness? Well, no. Ever raise anybody from that? Well, no. What does he heal? Well, he earaches and backaches. Seven, we learned that Jesus and apostles were both able to discern who was demon-possessed and cast out demons with a word. There was no elaborate ceremony, no holy water, no incantation learned from, you know, ancient people. It was just come out of them. And eight, and finally, Jesus healed everyone, often regardless of their faith, And even, as we learned last week, he healed the woman with a hemorrhage and he didn't even know it. He made no conscious effort to even heal her. She just touched him and healed. So this morning we're going to address some other aspects of signs and wonders. Not going to address the same thing. There'll be a little bit of overlap. Just to kind of prepare you, we want to focus primarily on the purpose of signs and wonders. And even though this isn't the main theme of our text, our text actually has two main themes. One is the calling, equipping, sending, warning, um, feedback, and modeling of Jesus' method of discipleship, which, Lord willing, we'll get to next week. But this 
Today, I just want to survey the text and see what we can learn from the text and other related scriptures about the purpose of signs and wonders. And this is so critical because once you understand the purpose of signs and wonders, you understand why God did miracles in certain periods of times in history, why he isn't doing it today like he did back then. And that will help you have discernment so that you are not led astray. You might be thinking, well, why would we be led astray? Because we also learned before that God has given Satan ability to do signs and wonders for the very purpose. He gives him the ability and permission at times for the very purpose of deceiving people who will not receive Christ as Savior, who will not receive the gospel message and believe. And so God allows Satan to send upon them a deluding influence. For instance, in Matthew 24, 24, speaking of the end times, Jesus said, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders to mislead, if possible, even the elect. So God, of course, who is sovereign over all, is going to give permission to Satan who, and demons who are behind false prophets who will then work their miracles to deceive people, even those who are already saved, if possible. Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8-10, through 10, speaking of the Antichrist, said that... That lawless one will be revealed. The lawless one is another name for the Antichrist. Whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish... Because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Did you see that? There is this permission granted to Satan to do signs and wonders to deceive those who will not receive the truth of the word of God. In other words... They won't believe the truth, so God allows Satan to deceive them as a form of judgment because they will not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And we see, for instance, in Revelation 13, verse 14, the false prophet who works with the Antichrist to deceive the world is described by John, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast. Later on, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, speaking of the judgment of the beast, which is another name for the Antichrist and his false prophet, John writes, and the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. Now I'm telling you this because we are entering, we are in the last times, entering in the very last times. Now, I don't know when Jesus is going to come, but I know things are going to proceed from bad to worse. And I know this, that in the very last days, there are going to be miracles being performed that are extremely impressive. By people who claim to be t- 
teachers of the truth and representatives of Christ, but who are in fact those who are working for Satan who have not received the love of the truth so as to be saved. This is why this topic is important. So that you, when you're out in the world and you're talking to people, you don't get swept away just because somebody has done some sign or wonder. That is always something to be cautious about and you take what you see and you experience and you hammer it out on the anvil of God's word to see whether it matches up with scripture. If it does not, it is not of God. I don't care how impressive and wowing it may be. So what about our text? Well, Jesus is ministering in Galilee. Luke is showing us how he did all these works to verify that he is the son of God. And now we come to Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Look there and follow along as I read down through verse 11. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither a staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not even have two tunics apiece, but whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Departing, they began going through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard of all that was happening, and he was greatly perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. And when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done, taking with them, uh, talking with them, uh, uh, talking, talking them, taking them with him. There's no L there. <laughs> my problem is, is my glasses work good for about this distance. I can actually see without my glasses, but then when I look up, I can't see you. So I'm in that bad stage of life. Talking, taking, taking with him, with him. He withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. So they're going to take a break. But the crowds were aware of this and followed him and welcoming them. He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. All right. So from this text, we're going to look at three important facts about signs and wonders so that you can understand why they happened their purpose, and so you don't get deceived by people who come along today saying they can perform signs and wonders, or maybe even doing signs and wonders that don't match up to the Word of God. And the first thing we need to know is, you need to believe that God has given certain people the ability to perform signs and wonders. And let's just talk about what is a sign? What is a sign? Well, we know what signs are. We see them all over the place. There's, you know, on billboards, on you know, bus stops, uh, on cars and bumpers. And I think probably half of us here have some sort of shirt with a little logo or something on the arm which says, you know, this person made it or some special stitching on our back pocket or whatever. All those are signs and they all advertise or say, hey, this is the product or this is the person or this is where this came from or this is what you need to go see or spend money on or whatever. It's advertisement. That's what a sign is. 
And the same thing is true of biblical signs. When you read the word and he performed a sign or they asked for a sign, what they're looking for is a miracle that advertises that this person is from God. That's what they say. Because they knew that only God could do miracles. And so they're looking for a miracle that would attest to the validity of this person being from God. And sometimes the word sign is also translated miracle. And literally it just means a testing miracle or a miracle that gives testimony to something. And in this case, Jesus or one of his messengers and their message. Secondly, what is a wonder? Well, it's pretty much a synonym for the word sign. Uh, A word wonder can be translated miracle just like the word sign is sometimes translated miracle. And it just means something that is a wonder. (laughs) Uh, Something that happens out of the ordinary and it makes you wonder. It gets your attention. It is marvelous because it's supernatural. So when you read through the Bible and talks about signs or wonders or miracles, it's just talking about those supernatural acts of God performed by God, performed by Jesus, performed by the apostles or those they commissioned. So that's what a sign and wonder is. Now let's look at our text and see what we can learn about this. So we're just going to skip around and look at those relevant verses that address this. Next week we'll come back and scour the text more deeply. Look at verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over the demons to heal diseases. And remember in our previous studies we learned that, was there just a few people following Jesus? No, there was a huge multitude, right? There was this great mass of people, so huge in fact, they couldn't even go into a town because if they did, they would just plug it up. So Jesus would come to the outskirts of the town and people would come out to him. So there are thousands of people following Jesus. They're following him around. There's big multitudes. And we also learned that um, that as Jesus went around, there's this bit large group of women. It says many women were ministering to him, the apostles, and many men were ministering to them. So you have Jesus, the twelve, their families, and a whole bunch of other people, this great multitude of believers who are ministering to Jesus and the apostles and those they minister to. And then in addition to that, you have a whole bunch of thrill seekers, you know, curious people who want to see the show, see the miracle, you know, eat the bread or whatever. And so that is what's happening. Now, I want you to notice here that in verse one, Jesus gave the authority to heal And cast out demons to how many of this great multitude of even believers? Twelve. Not everybody, not all the men or all the men and women, just twelve. This is how it always is. Always a limited number of people. Never has God given all people or universally all people or people in all locations, a sampling of people in all locations, the ability, it's always been in a very small area for a limited number of time for limited purpose. We're going to see what that purpose is in a minute. So it was the 12. Now, there are instances, for instance, where you learn that Jesus gave or and the apostles gave other people the ability to do signs and wonders. And if you looked in Luke 10, Jesus sends out 70 
people and gives them the ability to do the same thing, heal and cast out demons. Um, we see, for instance, Paul and Peter and, and um, Stephen in the book of Acts. These people were given the authority or the power to do miracles and to um, cast out demons and to wow people to do an advertisement that, hey, guess what? God sent me and I have a message for you. But this leads us to the more important question, why did God give the 12, the 70, Paul, Barnabas, Stephen, others, the ability to do miracles? Why? Why them? And why them for a limited number of time and not why not all of us? I mean, wouldn't you like to be able to go someplace and just heal everybody you came in contact with? I would. I mean, it would be a nightmare for a while until you got everybody healed, but that would be incredible, wouldn't it? I mean, you could find out what happened. You know, everybody want to fly to Burbank, land here and seek you out because of their bad back or whatever. But look at what we discover here, we've already talked about verse 1 that Jesus gave them, but now we're going to look at why. You need to know why God gave people miraculous sign gifts. Look at verse 2, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So here, notice the twofold quote, preach the word and heal. Look down at verse 6, departing they began going through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And after they went out preaching the gospel and healing everywhere, they came back and reported to Jesus. And then they tried to take a little sabbatical in Bethsaida, but the crowds were aware of it. And verse 11 says, Jesus began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who were in need of healing. The same exact thing. Preach, heal. Preach, heal. Heal, preach. Um, those two went together. Turn over to the book of Acts, chapter 2. And let's just go through a, a few key scriptures. And these are not all of them. We're just going to sample some. Acts chapter 2, verse 43. And everybody knows what's happening in Acts, Acts 2. This is the birth of the church. It's Pentecost. Jesus and the other apostles have been given the gift of tongues. They're preaching to a huge multitude of Jews who have come from all around the Mediterranean basin, who have all um, come there to worship at the pilgrim feast of Pentecost. And they have their own native tongues and dialects. And it says that each one was hearing the gospel preached in his own native language, his own native tongue. And this is what we, I want you to uh, look at here is in verse 43 where everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And what were they doing at this time? Preaching the gospel. You see the same thing. If you turn over to Acts chapter 4, verse 29, the apostles are praising and petitioning God in the face of persecution for preaching the gospel. And in verse 29... We read, and now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal. And signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. See that? Same thing. They're preaching the gospel and also performing miracles. Turn over to Acts chapter 6, verse 8. We mentioned Stephen. Stephen... 
Earlier in the chapter, when um, they needed to have some faithful people serve the people so they could devote themselves to preaching and teaching, it describes Stephen as a very godly man who was, um, you know, full of the faith and the Holy Spirit, according to verse 5. But in Acts 6, 8, it says that Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. He was recognized by the apostle. He was commissioned by the apostle. He was given these powers and he used them. Then, of course, in chapter 7, what happens? Stephen preaches that incredible sermon. He convicts the Jews so much they just rush upon him in fury and stone him to death. And get this. All the apostles were there. They were all nearby. The Holy Spirit was working mightily. They were performing signs and wonders and they didn't raise Stephen from the dead they let him stay dead why because sign gifts are not for believers and what do you see in TV today a whole bunch of believers gathered together in a manipulated crowd with a stage and control and all of them are of course possibly going to receive a miracle if they give enough let's take an offering and then we'll see who god's going to heal of earaches and backaches and sore feet but that's not how it was then if you turn over to Acts chapter 14, this is later on. This is Paul and Barnabas. They're ministering and they're doing the same thing. Paul, of course, was the apostle as one untimely born. But notice what it says in Acts 14 verse 1. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against them, against the brethren. Therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. So they were able to go in, while they were preaching, and if you go down um, in verse 48, uh, or yeah, what is it, uh, verse 28, it says, uh, anyways, uh, that many people came to the Lord while they preached. And what's amazing is, is that as you look through the book of Acts, and you just follow through the book of Acts, you see what happens. The apostles go out, they do the miracles and preach the gospel. You see the same thing, just like Jesus did, just like the apostles did when Jesus was alive, and just like the apostles did after Jesus was dead. The same exact pattern. Why is this? Why is this? And you know, when you first think about it, and I don't know about you, but I think about this, well, if, if God did it back then, then why doesn't he do it today? I mean, if it worked then, why not today? If, if it was great to do miracles and preach the gospel, why not do miracles and preach the gospel today? I'm sure I could get a very significant crowd if the news cameras came and found out that I was healing every single person of every manner of disease and sickness. You think anybody would grot around? That would be a great opportunity to preach the gospel, wouldn't it? Why isn't God doing that today? 
Well, see, this is what we need to find out. And what you need to understand here is the purpose of signs and wonders were always accompanied by preaching and was always for the evangelization of unbelievers. Now, there's a few exceptions where believers were healed. But as you go through, you see this pattern. You go into a town. You do signs and wonders. They're odd. They realize you are from God and then you preach the gospel. You remember what happened when Nicodemus came to Jesus sneaking up to him at nighttime? You remember what happened to him? He came to him by night and what did he say? Rabbi, we know, we Pharisees know that you are from God because no one could do the works that you do unless what? God is with him. They knew it. They knew it. Jesus proved he was the Messiah. And when he equipped the apostles and he sent them out, then the apostles became messengers of Jesus and his message. As a matter of fact, in first or second Corinthians 12, 12, Paul, as he defends his apostleship, defends it by saying this, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Paul says, listen, Corinthians, don't listen to these false teachers. When I came among you, I proved to you that I was a true apostle because I wielded apostolic miracle working power, which I performed among you in all perseverance. That shows you that I was God's messenger, that I am an apostle. Let's see these other guys do that. So signs and wonders were performed by Jesus to let people know that he was the Messiah, the son of God. You remember what happened when John's disciples came and they weren't quite sure John was in prison and John got some of his disciples said, go make sure that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, he's looking for, you know, the takeover of Rome, the establishment of the kingdom, you know, glory. And Jesus is running around being persecuted with this group of 12 stragglers. And John's wondering, I wonder if, surely this is the guy. So he sends his disciples and they ask him, you know, John, John wants to know if you're the expected one or not. And you remember what Jesus told them? Matthew eleven four and 5, Go report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor of the gospel preach to them. Why did Jesus say this? Because that's what was prophesied. You see, a lot of false Christs and false prophets had come up to that time, but none of them did what Jesus did. And so this was verification to John because Jesus was fulfilling prophecy that he was, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Peter is preaching at Pentecost and says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourself know. He's preaching to this crowd and he says, you know, he went to your town. You know, he had that huge crowd. You were in the crowd. You saw him do the miracles. You know, it's true. You know it. It's undeniable. He is the Messiah is what Peter said. But then when you ask yourself, okay, so Jesus 
did the miracles to show that he was the son of God, that showed that he was the Messiah. But what about the apostles? Well, they were his messengers. So they did the miracles to affirm that, let people know that they were his apostles and, and to say, hey, the message we're telling you is true. Now you're saying, well, why is it such a big deal then and not now? Well, think about this with me. What were the Jews like in that first century? Were they really accepting of those who wanted to change their religion? Who wanted to call them hypocrites, blind guides of the blind? Those who strain out gnats and swallow camels? Now think about it. You know, I don't know if you've had any, any experience with people from King James only churches, but there, there are those who are into the King James only movement who think, you know, that the King James Bible is, you know, the word of God and that it should be used to correct the Hebrew and Greek. I mean, it is the word of God. It'd be like going into a church like that and say, you know, we've got a new living translation for you. And you know what? A lot of the things you believe in, baptism, communion, we aren't going to do those anymore. I mean, do you think they would accept that? They'd go, get out of here, you false teacher. Well, that's what Jesus and the apostles were up against. Jesus had to come in, and the first thing he had to do is to let them know that, yes, the law is good, holy and just, and you aren't keeping it. As a matter of fact, you're sinners, and as a matter of fact, prostitutes and tax gatherers are going to get into the kingdom of heaven before you. You think they accepted that well? And that since you're such great sinners, you need a savior. And guess what? I'm the guy. And you've messed up the law. You don't even understand what the law is. You've messed up the whole intent of the law. And guess what? We're changing things. When I die, guess what? No more sacrifice. No more ceremonial. I mean, Jesus was going to remanufacture their entire religion. That is why God, by His grace, at this time, in love and compassion for the Jews, sent His only Son and performed all of these miracles in order to try and convince the Jews first. Remember Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that salvation is to the Jew first and then to the Greek. To convince the people, the chosen people of God, that Jesus was the Messiah. And some believed And most did not. What is amazing is, turn to John chapter 6. You can see just how hard-hearted they are. John chapter 6. Look at verse 1. John chapter 6 verse 1, And after these things Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias, and a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. A large crowd. Same terminology that is used in Luke. How many were there? Well, if you go down, he ends up feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. That is a lot of people. That is a pretty big miracle. That is a huge miracle. You know, just feeding everybody in Dodger Stadium. You know, one guy, here, 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 take this, take this, take this, take this, take this. Where's he getting it from? I don't know, it's just appearing. That's what happened. So he performs this huge miracle. 
And then look down at verse 14. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come in the world. And they're referencing Deuteronomy chapter 18, which promised that a prophet would come. And they were looking for that prophet, the Messiah. Verse 15, so Jesus perceiving that they were intended to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. So you would think these people, the whole mass of them are believers, right? The whole mass saw the miracle and they were so riled up, so emotionally stirred, they were ready to make, force Jesus, you've got to be our king. Then if we can have a guy who can wield the power of God like this, we want him and you're the guy. Now, Then we go down a little bit further. And uh, in this section, Jesus walks on water, which is a pretty significant miracle. And in verse 26, look there. He appears back to the people and the the crowd, the same crowd is still there waiting for him. And Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled These people didn't want to submit to Christ. They didn't repent of their sins. They didn't want to bow the knee to Jesus and receive him as the Messiah. These people wanted a meal. Then what's really amazing, look down at verse 30. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Hello? I just fed 5,000 people and walked on water. You see, the miracles, did it compel anybody to believe? No. Now, the miracles do point so they aid in belief. In other words, they do say, this is the guy. But just like you might drive down the road and see a billboard, it doesn't mean you're going to shop at the place that's advertising there. You are going to see the sign and it is going to appeal to you, but it's not compelling. It doesn't make you go there. Neither do miracles. They don't make anybody believe. They just point to the object of faith or the messenger who has the message of faith. So... This brings us to our last point. Know why God isn't giving people the ability to do signs and wonders today. There's always those who say, you know, Jack, it's, you know, I understand what you're saying and I believe all this and I agree with all this, but you know, it seems to me that if God did miracles back then and people did come to the Lord and a lot of people were healed, then why not do that today? I don't see anything in the Bible which says, you know, we the miracles aren't needed anymore, so we should be doing them. Okay, do them. Who's stopping you? You see, what happens is, is people think about that, and then there's always some false teachers who want to come by and say they have these gifts, but the problem is, is when they wield the gifts, they don't match up with what? The Bible. That is a problem. And so there are some reasons why God isn't giving people miracle, miraculous gifts today. That's not, again, not to say that He can't, 
We know that in the tribulation, those gifts will be active again. But first of all, Jesus had to fulfill prophecy. We've already talked about that was one reason. He came, he fulfilled prophecy. Okay. Second, salvation is to the Jew first and Jews crave for signs. Paul even says that when you go through, they're always asking, give us a sign, show us a sign. First Corinthians 122, you know, Greeks ask for wisdom, but Jews ask for a, a sign. They want a sign. And third, the New Testament time was a unique time of transition. The New Testament was being written. That is, the teachings of Christ, which the apostles had learned, had not been written down and inscripturated in what is called the canon of Scripture or the New Testament, the books of the New Testament. Because of this, they, when they went into a place, they didn't have an authoritative book, the Bible, in which to preach from. And it wasn't recognized. So God gave them the ability to do miracles, to give credence and authority to the message, and then they would preach. But what you see is, is at the beginning of the book of Acts, when none of the New Testament was written, there's how many miracles? Lots of them. And as the book of Acts continues and the New Testament is being written, what happens? Miracles become less and less. Why? Because once you have the word of God, you don't need to have miracles anymore. Once you have the New Testament, the need to authenticate the message isn't necessary because this book is self-authenticating. Let me show you how this is. Turn to Luke chapter 16. It's going to be so fun when we get to Luke 16. I'm probably going to preach 30 sermons out of here. Okay, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. This is a familiar story to many of us. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Notice what it says, starting in verse 19. There was, a, there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. You have this great contrast here. Verse 22. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I'm in agony in these flames. And even though your cell phone is turned off, the battery is wearing out, so turn it off. Okay, verse 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. Now, you got this situation here. There's a rich man, super wealthy, living an indulgent life. There's a super poor man who's barely scraping by but loves God. Both die Rich man is in hell, Lazarus, the poor man is in Abraham's bosom, and everything's great. The rich man is in agony, 
in the flames. He knows he deserves to be there, but he is concerned for his brothers. He wants the situation remedied. And verse 27 is what the rich man who is in hell thinks Abraham should do. And he said, then I beg you, father, that is father Abraham, that you send him, that is Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Just stop there for a moment. What is the rich man asking? I want you to do a miracle. I want you to do the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead so he can become an evangelist and go to my brothers. Because when they see that a miracle has taken place and they see this man who is risen from the dead, then they will believe because that miracle will be compelling. See what Abraham says. Verse 29. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. Or they have the Old Testament scriptures. Let them hear them. Abraham's response was, listen, they don't need a miracle. What they need is... I read the Bible. Look at verse 30. But he said, the rich man is lobbying now. No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. If you just would allow a miracle to take place here, they'll repent because of the miracle. But he said to him, if they do not Listen to Moses and the prophets. They will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. What do we learn from that? The power to save people is where? In the word of God. In the word of God. Not miracles. Miracles may point to the messenger of God's word, but it is the power of the word of God which saves people. Uh, You know, you look in the scripture and you find all sorts of examples of people who saw lots of miracles. I mean, think about the people who saw all the miracles during the times of Moses. Did they have any miracles? Well, just the ten plagues and just the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire and the manna every single day. Their clothes never wore out. They never got sick every single day. They saw the earth opened up. They saw, you know, all kinds of miracles all through the wilderness. And what does the author of Hebrews say in Hebrews chapter 3 verses about 16 through 19? All of them dropped dead in the wilderness because of why? Unbelief. Unbelief. They needed more miracles? No. The miracles are not compelling. They point, but they're not compelling. So where's the power? Where's the power? For instance, John, in his gospel, speaking about the unbelieving multitude, said, but though he, that is Jesus, had performed many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Where is the power? Well, the power is in the word of God. Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like a hammer that shatters rock and a fire that consumes? That's where the power is. Paul speaking to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For this reason we also constantly thank God. 
That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. The word of God performs its work in you who believe. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, we read, For the word of God is living, it is active, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It is piercing and able to judge both soul and spirit and joints and marrow and the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is not a dead book. This is a living, an active, a powerful book. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, Peter says, For you have been born again, not of seed which is imperishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of, uh, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which is preached to you. That is where the power is. Turn to first, Second Peter. Turn over to Second Peter. Peter, Second Peter. By the way, the theme of Second Peter is false teachers. So he's trying to equip his readers to deal with false teachers, who, of course, come on the scenes oftentimes with false wonders. But look at Second Peter, chapter one, verse two. The end of the introduction here, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Isn't that a great verse? I love that verse. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Well, where does it come from? Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Where do you get true knowledge from God? From the Bible. Verse 4. For by these, these, these knowledge, these truths about God, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So that by them... You may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped that, uh, uh, the corruption that is in the world by lust. Where are God's precious and magnificent promises found? In the Bible. And so then, in verses 5, all the way down through verse 11, he says, So, since you have these promises, since you have everything pertaining to life and godliness in this book, the Bible, then pursue righteousness. Verse 12. Therefore, I always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and you have been established in the truth, which is present in you. Where do you get truth from the word of God? And he's saying, I'm just reminding you of this. I don't know about you, but do you ever need reminded of God's truth? I do. Are there times when I've read something 50, 100 times? Sometimes they've even taught things before and I read it and go, wow. I never saw that. Or, wow, I forgot that was in there. So Peter's saying, yeah, you have these promises, and guess what? It's my job as a preacher, it's every preacher's job, it's every minister's job to constantly remind people of the truths of God's word, these precious and magnificent promises. Now, going on down. Not after he says that, look at verse 16. 
He now is going to explain something that is directly related to what we're talking about, the purpose of signs and wonders, and why God isn't doing miracles today. Look at verse 16. And this seems to come out of the blue, because he's talking about God's word and God's promises and abstaining from, uh, from sin and pursuing righteousness. And then he seems to just say something that at first glance seems totally unrelated to anything. Verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. Do you you see what Peter's saying here? You want to hear about something cool? You want to hear about a wonder, a sign? The greatest thing any mortal has ever seen, we got to see Jesus in his kingdom glory and Elijah and Moses and we heard the very voice of God. No one has ever experienced a miracle like that. Ever. He says, man, we saw the most incredible thing you could ever see. But notice what he says in verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure. Literally, we have the more sure prophetic word. More sure than what? More sure than what? Than the most incredible, miraculous experience you could ever experience. We have something More sure than that. What is it? The prophetic word. The prophetic word. Verse 19 continues. To which you do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You have something greater than miracles and signs and wonders. You have the word of God. And look. What makes the word of God so special? Verse 20. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And that is why this book, though written by men, is the word of God. So you ask yourself, well, why? Why don't we need miracles today? Man, we have... Nuclear bomb here compared to miracles. This is the only book that is like it in all the world. It is the inspired word of God. It is living. It is active. It is sharper. It is piercing. It is able to judge. It is the fire. It is the hammer. And on and on. All those things the word of God says of itself. It is the power. And that is why when we go out and we share the gospel, yeah, you know, miracles could be used. And yes, people, it would draw people's attention. But you know what? We don't need them anymore. Because we have the more sure word of God. And this book is sufficient in and of itself when preached to save people and transform their life. And when you look even in the book of Acts, even during the New Testament times, even when the apostles were alive, they didn't go into every town and do miracles. Sometimes they just preached the word. 
And that is what we see. I would encourage you, you know, some people say, well, yeah, you know, I don't know. I still think that, you know, God wants us to be having miracles. Every Well, just go back and read church history. Read church history. Do it. Read Gonzalez's history of the church, Christianity. Read Philip Schaff's history, you know, history of the Christian church. Read them. Watterettes, whatever. Any of those guys, any of their histories, read them. Read the first centuries and see how many people were wielding these powers. Zero. Zero. And you know, you could say, well, yeah, he's still doing it today. Well, I'm telling you, all I'm telling you is it better match up with the word of God. And if it doesn't, then don't fall for it. Because it's a false sign and a false wonder used by a false teacher for wicked means. So what have we learned? Yes, God has given us, in history, people with the gifts, sign gifts, and ability to do signs and wonders. Jesus, of course, had those powers. And we've learned the purpose of signs and wonders are pointers, advertisements, to either Jesus or his messengers during a time when the New Testament was being written. And that after the New Testament was completed, God has chosen to bring him to an end. Now, the Bible does say that during the tribulation period, these gifts will then come back. But for right now, they aren't happening. So don't get all psyched out. If you want to get excited about something, get excited about this. That this is something to get excited about. Because this has the stories of miracles. And this is the living, active, powerful, piercing, judging, saving, sanctifying word of God. And this is what we need to go out and share with the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have taught us so many good things from your word. Father, there is so much here in this passage. I just pray that if it be your will and we come back next week, we will be able to learn some great things about discipleship from how we see Jesus both training, sending, equipping, and modeling for his disciples. And Father, until then, I just pray that all of us would have discernment that we would not be deceived by those who come along saying they have certain miraculous powers, but who either don't preach the truth or, Father, don't model the same miraculous gifts that we see in your word. Father, help us to be cautious, help us to be aware, because we know that in the latter time, Satan will come on the scene with false signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Help us not to be among them. And, Father, help us to preach your word knowing that the proclamation of Jesus, the Son of God, His life, His death on the cross, His burial, His resurrection, and repentance and faith in Him is what brings people to salvation, which is the power of God for all who believe. So help us all to be faithful to do that. Help us to have discernment. Equip us that we might live for You in Your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.